Part One of Prose Romances from the Oxford and Cambridge Magazine, from Prose and Poetry, eighteen fifty six to eighteen seventy, by William Morris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of the Unknown Church, Oxford and Cambridge Magazine, January eighteen fifty six. I was the master mason of a church that was built more than six hundred years ago. It is now two hundred years since that church vanished from the face of the earth. It was destroyed utterly. No fragment of it was left, not even the great pillars that bore up the tower at the cross, where the choir used to join the nave. No one knows now even where it stood. Only in this very autumn tide, if you knew the place, you would see the heaps made by the earth-covered ruins heaving the yellow corn into glorious waves so that the place where my church used to be is as beautiful now as when it stood in all its splendour i do not remember very much about the land where my church was i have quite forgotten the name of it but i know it was very beautiful and even now while i am thinking of it comes a flood of old memories and i almost seem to see it again that old beautiful land only dimly do i see it in spring and summer and winter but i see it in autumn tide clearly now yes clearer clearer oh so bright and glorious yet it was beautiful too in spring when the brown earth began to grow green beautiful in summer when the blue sky looked so much bluer if you could hem a piece of it in between the new white carving beautiful in the solemn starry nights so solemn that it almost reached agony the awe and joy one had in their great beauty but of all these beautiful times i remember the whole only of autumn tithe the others come in bits to me i can think only of parts of them but all of autumn and of all days and nights in autumn i remember one more particularly that autumn day the church was nearly finished and the monks for whom we were building the church and the people who lived in the town hard by crowded round us oftentimes to watch us carving now the great church and the buildings of the abbey where the monks lived were about three miles from the town and the town stood on a hill overlooking the rich autumn country it was girt about with great walls that had overhanging battlements and towers at certain places all along the walls and often we could see from the churchyard or the abbey garden the flash of helmets and spears and the dim shadowy waving of banners as the knights and lords and men-at-arms passed to and fro along the battlements and we could see too in the town the three spires of the three churches and the spire of the cathedral which was the tallest of the three was gilt all over with gold and always at night-time a great lamp shone from it that hung in the spire midway between the roof of the church and the cross at the top of the spire the abbey where we built the church was not girt by stone walls but by a circle of poplar trees and whenever a wind passed over them were it ever so little a breath it set them all a ripple and when the wind was high they bowed and swayed very low and the wind as it lifted the leaves and showed their silvery white sides or as again in the lulls of it it let them drop kept on changing the trees from green to white and white to green moreover 
through the boughs and trunks of the poplars we caught glimpses of the great golden corn sea waving 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 for leagues and leagues and among the corn grew burning scarlet poppies and blue cornflowers and the cornflowers were so blue that they gleamed and seemed to burn with a steady light as they grew beside the poppies among the gold of the wheat through the corn sea ran a blue river and always green meadows and lines of tall poplars followed its windings the old church had been burned and that was the reason why the monks caused me to build the new one the buildings of the abbey were built at the same time as the burned-down church more than a hundred years before i was born and they were on the north side of the church and joined to it by a cloister of round arches and in the midst of the cloister was a lawn and in the midst of that lawn a fountain of marble carved round about with flowers and strange beasts and at the edge of the lawn near the round arches were a great many sunflowers that were all in blossom on that autumn day and up many of the pillars of the cloister crept passion flowers and roses then farther from the church and past the cloister and its buildings were many detached buildings and a great garden round them all within the circle of the poplar trees in the garden were trellises covered over with roses and convolvulus and the great leaved fiery nasturtium and specially all along by the poplar trees were their trellises but on these grew nothing but deep crimson roses the hollyhocks too were all out in blossom at that time great spires of pink and orange and red and white with their soft downy leaves i said that nothing grew on the trellises by the poplars but crimson roses but i was not quite right for in many places the wildflowers had crept into the garden from without lush green bryony with green-white blossoms that grows so fast one could almost think that we see it grow and deadly nightshade la bella donna oh so beautiful red berry and purple yellow spikes flower and deadly cruel-looking dark green leaf all growing together in the glorious days of early autumn and in the midst of the great garden was a conduit with its sides carved with histories from the bible and there was on it too as on the fountain in the cloister much carving of flowers and strange beasts now the church itself was surrounded on every side but the north by the cemetery and there were many graves there both of monks and of laymen and often the friends of those whose bodies lay there had planted flowers about the graves of those they loved i remember one such particularly for at the head of it was a cross of carved wood and at the foot of it facing the cross three tall sunflowers then in the midst of the cemetery was a cross of stone carved on one side with the crucifixion of our lord jesus christ and on the other with our lady holding the divine child so that day that i specially remember in autumn-tide when the church was nearly finished i was carving in the central porch of the west front for i carved all those bas-reliefs in the west front with my own hand beneath me my sister margaret was carving at the flower-work and the little quatrefoils that carry the signs of the zodiac and emblems of the months now my sister margaret was rather more than twenty years old at that time and she was very beautiful with dark brown hair and deep calm violet eyes i had lived with her all my life lived with her almost alone latterly 
for our father and mother died when she was quite young, and I loved her very much, though I was not thinking of her just then, as she stood beneath me carving. Now the central porch was carved with a bas-relief of the Last Judgment, and it was divided into three parts by horizontal bands of deep flower-work. In the lowest division, just above the doors, was carved the rising of the dead, above were angels blowing long trumpets, and Michael the archangel, weighing the souls and the blessed led into heaven by angels, and the lost into hell by the devil, and in the topmost division was the judge of the world. All the figures in the porch were finished except one, and I remember when I woke that morning my exultation at the thought of my church being so nearly finished. I remember, too, how a kind of misgiving mingled with the exultation, which, try all I could, I was unable to shake off. I thought then it was a rebuke for my pride. Well, perhaps it was. The figure I had to carve was Abraham, sitting with a blossoming tree on each side of him, holding, in his two hands, the corners of his great robe, so that it made a mighty fold, wherein, with their hands crossed over their breasts, were the souls of the faithful, of whom he was called father. I stood on the scaffolding for some time, while Margaret's chisel worked on bravely down below. I took mine in my hand, and stood so, listening to the noise of the masons inside, and two monks of the abbey came and stood below me, and a knight, holding his little daughter by the hand, who every now and then looked up at him and asked him strange questions. I did not think of these long, but began to think of Abraham. Yet I could not think of him sitting there, quiet and solemn, while the judgment trumpet was being blown. I rather thought of him as he looked when he chased those kings so far, riding far ahead of any of his company, with his mailhood off his head, and lying in grim folds down his back, with the strong west wind blowing his wild black hair far out behind him, with the wind rippling the long scarlet pennon of his lance, riding there amid the rocks and the sands alone, with the last gleam of the armour of the beaten kings disappearing behind the winding of the pass, with his company a long, long way behind, quite out of sight, though their trumpets sounded faintly among the clefts of the rocks. And so I thought I saw him, till in his fierce chase he leapt, horse and man, into a deep river, quiet, swift, and smooth. And there was something in the moving of the water-lilies, as the breast of the horse swept them aside, that suddenly took away the thought of Abraham, and brought a strange dream of lands I had never seen. And the first was of a place where I was quite alone, standing by the side of a river, and there was the sound of singing a very long way off, but no living thing of any kind could be seen, and the land was quite flat, quite without hills, and quite without trees too, and the river wound very much, making all kinds of quaint curves, and on the side where I stood there grew nothing but long grass, but on the other side grew, quite on to the horizon, a great sea of red corn poppies. Only paths of white lilies wound all among them, with here and there a great golden sunflower. So I looked down at the river by my feet, and saw how blue it was, and how, as the stream went swiftly by, it swayed to and fro the long green weeds. And I stood and looked at the river for long, till at last I felt someone touch me on the shoulder, and, looking round, 
i saw standing by me my friend amiot whom i love better than any one else in the world but i thought in my dream that i was frightened when i saw him for his face had changed so it was so bright and almost transparent and his eyes gleamed and shone as i had never seen them do before oh he was so wondrously beautiful so fearfully beautiful and as i looked at him the distant music swelled and seemed to come close up to me and then swept by us and fainted away at last died off entirely and then i felt sick at heart and faint and parched and i stooped to drink of the water of the river and as soon as the water touched my lips lo the river vanished and the flat country with its poppies and lilies and i dreamed that i was in a boat by myself again floating in an almost landlocked bay of the northern sea under a cliff of dark basalts i was lying on my back in the boat looking up at the intensely blue sky and a long low swell from the outer sea lifted the boat up and let it fall again and carried it gradually nearer and nearer towards the dark cliff and as i moved on i saw at last on the top of the cliff a castle with many towers and on the highest tower of the castle there was a great white banner floating with a red chevron on it and three golden stars on the chevron presently i saw too on one of the towers growing in a cranny of the worn stones a great bunch of golden and blood-red wallflowers and i watched the wallflowers and banner for long when suddenly i heard a trumpet blow from the castle and saw a rush of armed men on to the battlements and there was a fierce fight till at last it was ended and one went to the banner and pulled it down and cast it over the cliff into the sea and it came down in long sweeps with the wind making little ripples in it slowly slowly it came till at last it fell over me and covered me from my feet till over my breast and i let it stay there and looked again at the castle and then i saw that there was an amber-colour banner floating over the castle in the place of the red chevron and it was much larger than the other also now a man stood on the battlements looking towards me he had a tilting helmet on with the visor down and an amber-coloured surcoat over his armour his right hand was ungauntleted and he held it high above his head and in his hand was the bunch of wallflowers that i had seen growing on the wall and his hand was white and small like a woman's for in my dream i could see even very far-off things much clearer than we see real material things on the earth presently he threw the wallflowers over the cliff and they fell into the boat just behind my head and then i saw looking down from the battlements of the castle amiot he looked down towards me very sorrowfully i thought but even as in the other dream said nothing so i thought in my dream that i wept for very pity and for love of him for he looked as a man just risen from a long illness and who will carry till he dies a dull pain about with him he was very thin and his long black hair drooped all about his face as he leaned over the battlements looking at me he was quite pale and his cheeks were hollow but his eyes large and soft and sad so i reached out my arms to him and suddenly i was walking with him in a lovely garden and we said nothing for the music which i had heard at first was sounding close to us now and there were many birds in the boughs of the trees 
oh such birds gold and ruby and emerald but they sung not at all but were quite silent as though they too were listening to the music now all this time amiot and i had been looking at each other but just then i turned my head away from him and as soon as i did so the music ended with a long wail and when i turned again amiot was gone then i felt even more sad and sick at heart than i had before when i was by the river and i leaned against a tree and put my hands before my eyes when i looked again the garden was gone and i knew not where i was and presently all my dreams were gone the chips were flying bravely from the stone under my chisel at last and all my thoughts were now in my carving when i heard my name walter called and when i looked down i saw one standing below me whom i had seen in my dreams just before amiot i had no hopes of seeing him for a long time perhaps i might never see him again i thought for he was away as i thought fighting in the holy wars and it made me almost beside myself to see him standing close by me in the flesh i got down from my scaffolding as soon as i could and all thoughts else were soon drowned in the joy of having him by me margaret too how glad she must have been for she had been betrothed to him for some time before he went to the wars and he had been five years away five years and how we had thought of him through those many weary days how often his face had come before me his brave honest face the most beautiful among all the faces of men and women i have ever seen yes i remember how five years ago i held his hand as we came together out of the cathedral of that great far-off city whose name i forget now and then i remember the stamping of the horse's feet i remember how his hand left mine at last and then some one looking back at me earnestly as they all rode on together looking back with his hand on the saddle behind him while the trumpet sang in long solemn peals as they all rode on together with the glimmer of arms and the fluttering of banners and the clinking of the rings of the mail that sounded like the falling of many drops of water into the deep still waters of some pool that the rocks nearly meet over and the gleam and flash of the swords and the glimmer of the lance-heads and the flutter of the rippled banners that streamed out from them swept past me and were gone and they seemed like a pageant in a dream whose meaning we know not and those sounds too the trumpets and the clink of the mail and the thunder of the horse-hoofs they seemed dreamlike too and it was all like a dream that he should leave me for we had said that we should always be together but he went away and now he has come back again we were by his bedside margaret and i i stood and leaned over him and my hair fell sideways over my face and touched his face margaret kneeled beside me quivering in every limb not with pain i think but rather shaken by a passion of earnest prayer after some time i know not how long i looked up from his face to the window underneath which he lay i do not know what time of day it was but i know that it was a glorious autumn day a day soft with melting golden haze a vine and a rose grew together and trailed half across the window so that i could not see much of the beautiful blue sky and nothing of town or country beyond 
the vine leaves were touched with red here and there and three overblown roses light pink roses hung amongst them i remember dwelling on the strange lines the autumn had made in red on one of the gold-green vine leaves and watching one leaf of one of the overblown roses expecting it to fall every minute but as i gazed and felt disappointed that the rose-leaf had not fallen yet i felt my pain suddenly shoot through me and i remembered what i had lost and then came bitter bitter dreams dreams which had once made me happy dreams of the things i had hoped would be of the things that would never be now they came between the fair fine leaves and rose blossoms and that which lay before the window they came as before perfect in colour and form sweet sounds and shapes but now in every one was something unutterably miserable they would not go away they put out the steady glow of the golden haze the sweet light of the sun through the vine leaves the soft leaning of the full-blown roses i wandered in them for a long time at last i felt a hand put me aside gently for i was standing at the head of of the bed then some one kissed my forehead and words were spoken i know not what words the bitter dreams left me for the bitterer reality at last for i had found him that morning lying dead only the morning after i had seen him when he had come back from his long absence i had found him lying dead with his hands crossed downwards with his eyes closed as though the angels had done that for him and now when i looked at him he still lay there and margaret knelt by him with her face touching his she was not quivering now her lips moved not at all as they had done just before and so suddenly those words came to my mind which she had spoken when she kissed me and which at the time i had only heard with my outward hearing for she had said walter farewell and christ keep you but for me i must be with him for so i promised him last night that i would never leave him any more and god will let me go and verily margaret and amiot did go and left me very lonely and sad it was just beneath the westernmost arch of the nave there i carved their tomb i was a long time carving it i did not think i should be so long at first and i said i shall die when i have finished carving it thinking that would be a very short time but so it happened after i had carved those two whom i loved lying with clasped hands like husband and wife above their tomb that i could not yet leave carving it and so that i might be near them i became a monk and used to sit in the choir and sing thinking of the time when we should all be together again and as i had time i used to go to the westernmost arch of the nave and work at the tomb that was there under the great sweeping arch and in process of time i raised a marble canopy that reached quite up to the top of the arch and i painted it too as fair as i could and carved it all about with many flowers and histories and in them i carved the faces of those i had known on earth for i was not as one on earth now but seemed quite a way out of the world and as i carved sometimes the monks and other people too would come and gaze and watch how the flowers grew and sometimes too as they gazed 
they would weep for pity, knowing how all had been. So my life passed, and I lived in that abbey for twenty years after he died, till one morning, quite early, when they came into the church for matins, they found me, lying dead, with my chisel in my hand, underneath the last lily of the tomb. End of the Story of the Unknown Church End of Part 1 